Welcome to Titanic, a podcast about the infamous White Star Line ship, the Titanic, and its tragic sinking in 1912. I'm your host, Loretta Ann Miller. I am a Los Angeles-based actress, singer, and major Titanic fan. Each week on Titanic, I will be sipping some tea, spilling the tea, and taking a deep dive all the way to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with friends, other Titanic fans, and historians. This week, I talk with longtime friend, fellow actor, and underwater exploration enthusiast, Adara Bryan. Join us as we talk shipwrecks, artifact preservation, and as we compare and contrast the Titanic 1998 exhibit and the Titanic 2011 exhibit. Well, Adara, Brian, longtime friend, thank you for joining me on my podcast today. I'm so excited. Excited to have you. Um, didn't know you were a Titanic fan until well into our friendship. Yeah. Like well way into too it. long. <laughs> which is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's just that we were never really like around each other around April. So it That's like we did summer stuff. And then like when we hooked back up together in New York, it was like, fall. And then finally April rolled around and I was like, she does 24 hours of Titanic facts. Uh, how did I not know this? Why have we not talked about this in piece of information before? Yeah. Which we like narrowed down to 12 hours because then I was like 24 hours is a really long time. I think the yeah. first time I did it, I did it for three days until the Carpathia would have pulled into the harbor into the pier in New York because I was like guilty. I'm guilty because I missed it at a rehearsal. I was at a rehearsal and I missed it the whole thing. And I like got home and I was like, I'm tired and went straight to bed and I woke up and I was like, I missed the anniversary. Oh no. That's one thing though, that I really want to do. I have not done. I, a piece, maybe this is a Titanic fact that, you know, and I don't, uh, what, pier the Carpathia like did they fully go into Ellis Island at first or did they bring people into New York like nope, I want to no, know where they no. went and I want to go to that pier like that's yes. that's where I want to go um hold on I'm bringing up a picture right now because I have it um I've been there you can go there they are renovating it um in New York I think it's I don't want to say it wrong but I think it's 59 Pier 59 or Pier 57. I am double checking. Um, All but, these piers are crazy things now. Like some are still piers. Some, some are, are like, like concert venues. Centers. Yeah. And then the Law and Order home base is on a pier. Like they just bought out a pier and all of their sets are like on this pier. Wait, what? Yeah. I When I did background on SVU, I and their holding rooms for their background are various old like piece like you're going to go in this room and it's like an old jail cell you're going to go in this room and it's like a lawyer's office and it's just like the weirdest little sets but because they've been around for so long they have permanent offices and so their offices and their sets are just all on the pier i think it's pier 63 maybe i absolutely did not know that um where is this picture because you can see the only thing that's still there because they're renovating it and it was closed um I don't know which year it was closed down 
I think right afterwards. I honestly think right afterwards or in 1918, I feel like another ship came in. Oh my God. Why don't I know this? I should know this. Um, three ships came in to that pier before it closed because something bad happened to all of them. Oh yeah. After they left, after they left, something bad happened to all of them. So they finally were like, this pier is cursed. We're closing it down. And it's over by it's in Chelsea. Uh, Oh, it is. So it's pier 54 Atlas Obscura says that dilapidated dock tells the story of Titanic's missed arrival. Oh, I love Atlas Obscura. (gasps) The Lusitania too. Yes. Shut up. So, okay. So, the pier is totally cursed. It's totally cursed. And I don't know. Yeah. You'll have to go. You'll have to go look and see if it's still there. Cause before, so during the pandemic, we, um, obviously we're planning on Sean and I were planning on moving to LA and we are now in LA. And before we wanted, before we left, I wanted to go see it again. And it was completely closed off. And the first time I went there, it's closed off. And there's a, if you go there, there's a, a page protector that has somebody typed up like this pier is cursed. These are the three ships that came here. And then this is what happened to them afterwards. Do not set foot on here. Cleanse your energy and like put it like behind the fence so nobody could take it. I, that's Here's the, the page. <laughs> yeah, that's the picture I was trying to find on my phone. I'm like, I don't know where it is. And then there's a picture of me. Um on my Instagram stories of the Titanic facts. If you go to my first story, the Titanic, it's the very first picture. I'm like standing under it. And the archway is the only thing original thing from the pier that's still standing. Cause they've redid the whole thing. So I don't know if they're planning on opening it back up again or making it something else, but I hope not because bad juju. <laughs> bad juju. I no, I didn't realize it was the same pier that the Lusitania uh, mm-hmm. left from, which we can talk more about in terms of my, my love for Titanic really stems from my love for old ships and old shipwrecks in general. So in general? the Lus- Lusitania, I was like, Oh, like I, yeah. So we can talk more about all of that. Cause that's yeah. part of my story. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know you love shipwrecks in general. Oh yes. What about them in general? The I think my I think same. Titanic's obviously my top. Um Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is one that like guts me. Probably because it happened in Lake Superior, like and that's close to home. Uh for anyone listening, Adair and I are both originally from Minnesota. So this is how we know each other. So we've known each other for several years now. Um, I might be close to 10. And I think so. Yeah, we, we met doing a show that shall not be named <laughs> <laughs> at, at the Minnesota Fringe Festival. And I go, like oh. the worst. <laughs> was the worst. <laughs> a show that shall not be named. I'm just going to uh, say something because this person's never going to listen to this and I don't care if they do. Seth's cartwheel in that show during his interpretive dance was the like haunts me. <laughs> Is it just lives rent free in your brain? It lives rent free in my brain. Oh my god! It was like, I, like the dude barely got his feet off of the ground, and he was like, "It's beautiful." And I was like, "What is this garbage show that I literally, in the summer, moved 
from Duluth, from college, to go live in Minneapolis in the summer in this, like, mm-hmm. heroin crack house apartment in near Marcy Holmes, like, what I could mm-hmm. afford at the time to be in this show. And then my appendix burst. <laughs> yeah, no. So that was how we met doing this show. And then we just kind of kept in touch, but then reconnected when you moved to New York City almost, I think, a year Mm-hmm. exactly before I moved. So you yeah. were out here first in 2016, correct? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Cause it would have been five years for me this year. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I moved one year later in 20, I was supposed to join you in 2016, but that's when I hurt my knee and had to have knee surgery. So I had to delay my coming to New York by like a good six plus months. During another um, show. You know what? Bad things happen in theater productions. In Minnesota. There's, in Minnesota. That's a separate podcast that's actually already happened. Already we're not going to encroach on their territory because it's no podcast. No. <laughs> But shout shout out to them because we love them. They know who they are. Right. And the love and the love of our of shipwrecks and you like shipwrecks in general. Yeah. Okay. But okay. it's a, it's a later in life obsession for me. So I'll start from the beginning uh, in terms yeah, of my yeah. introduction to, to the, the Titanic, Titanic in general. It was Cameron's be- biopic. You know, it's going to be, you know, James Cameron's biopic because I, I had heard about it. I'd read about it in school. I always thought it was interesting, but me being a few years older than you, I was right at the perfect age for my parents to be like, Oh God, we need to drop our like 12 year old daughter off. You know, I wasn't even 12. How old was I? I was 10. I was 10 years old because it was 1997. So I was 10 years old. I was shocked that my parents let me see this three-hour movie. And South Minneapolis has the dollar movie theater, the Riverview. And so I would take my allowance and they would drop me off for three and a half hours. And I only had to spend $1 to go see the movie. And I think I saw it like 10 times at the Riverview. I love the Riverview. I forgot about the Riverview. And, but so that then actually made me want to learn more about the Titanic in general. And so I then did, you know, like the three board, you know, like the, the board that you do with like the three banners on it where you like for science projects, you know? And so like, Oh, I had to, yeah. Yeah. The like the, the, fold the out. trifold, the trifold oh. board. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, of course yeah. I did some project on the Titanic on a trifold board in like sixth grade. And I had a really bad lisp in elementary school and was in speech therapy. And one of the things that actually helped me with that was reading things out loud. And I would like bring in these like, I'm Titanic nerd fact books. And I would read them. And and I got really excited because she would basically let me bring in whatever I wanted to read as long as we had to practice our S's, our S's and our Z's. Yes. <laughs> that was my introduction to the Titanic But then, you know, what really got me fascinated in general was starting to learn more about World War II and World War I shipwrecks and the finding of them, because all of that really started to explode between like 1985 and like 2005. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just the coolest thing to be able to 
there was a period of time where I thought that that's what I wanted to do was underwater archaeology. And so I thought it was just the coolest thing to be like on the boat, like manning the, the, R, the ROV and like looking for shipwrecks. And so I just inhaled every piece of information about underwater archaeology that I could, but I really settled in on, I know you had no idea. <laughs> no, I just, no, I didn't know about this, but I also like, it's so funny. If you ask, people actors and artists like ourselves like what else did you want to do before you decided to be an actor like it's always it's always something crazy like I wanted to do underwater archaeology mine was like I wanted to be a health teacher why (laughs) why did I want to be a health teacher like who knows (laughs) I get squeamish if people throw up like I'm like (laughs) why would I want to do that yeah, I was, it was underwater archaeology and marine biology. Like it was always ocean yeah. related. Like those were the two things that I, as between the ages of like thirteen and twenty, was always like, if you know, if music or theater doesn't work out, it's like I could be interested in that. But I'm also terrible at science, so biology kind of like <laughs> biology saw its way out the door. It was like, you know, I'm just gonna exit life. This is not the good option for me, but I love history. So underwater archaeology was always still a possibility. <laughs> if Broadway doesn't work out by the time I'm 25, I'll just quick bounce over to marine biology. Easy. I wanted to be a dolphin <laughs> is what I wanted oh, to do. Oh, hell yeah. So that, Absolutely. That, that was that was where my, my world existed. Um, yeah. But yeah. I just inhaled every piece of information I could find about shipwrecks like iron, like once iron ships became a thing. So really starting with like civil war through mm-hmm. the world war two, those are the ones that I thought were just the most fascinating. And of course, Titanic's plops right in the middle of that. And because mm-hmm. it's one of the, a handful of passenger lines that went down, it's especially fascinating. Just like the Lusitania is also incredibly fascinating to me and how the difference in the decay of the those shipwrecks is so night and day because the Lusitania is in 400 feet of water off the coast of Ireland. Right. And, and half of those people were able to survive because they could swim to shore Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at least Mm -hmm. try to attempt to swim to shore. And people from shore saw all the U-boat shoot it, you know, shoot it down basically. And they were able to, once they felt the U-boat was gone, go rescue the people that were there. And it was all these, like fishermen who were like, we're going to come rescue you. All the, the Irish, the Irish fishermen. Oh, um, St. Patrick's day when we're recording this too. Oh, yeah. We are recording this on St. Patrick's day. Super Both wearing exciting. green. You guys can't see us, but we're shimmying. Okay. We're shimmying in our green. <laughs> and so that for me is really where my love for Titanic lives is it lives in the underwater archeology span part. I know you really love the stories of the people and the yeah. humanity behind it. Yeah. And I get yeah. really nerdy about the science of discovering the shipwreck and the maintenance of the shipwreck right now. And what's going to happen with it in the next like a hundred years. I That's was where- just going to ask you, I was like, so how are you feeling about the reports that in, you know, 30 years, it's going to be gone. I don't think it's going to be 30 years. I, I think, think that so. in 30 years, it's going to be drastically changed. Mm-hmm. But I, the amount of temperature raising that needs to happen. And so the, the rusticles that are on mm-hmm. the Titanic are, it's not actually rust. It's the byproduct of um, 
you know, microscopic creatures that are eating away at the iron. It's basically like uh, the equivalent of like a flesh eating bacteria. Exactly. And so it's the, the amount of temperature that's uh, raising that's going to need to happen and the amount of time for the rusticles to eat away. So it's essentially just a hunk of iron or on the bottom of the ocean, you know, in a perfect world where we weren't experiencing global warming would be, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Do I think it's going to disappear in 30? No. But do I think it's going to be gone in 75? Probably. Yeah. So like that to me is the really sad part about it is there and the debates they're having about what to do. Like, does this mean that there are more pieces from the wreck that we have to bring up because, Global warming is not going away. And if we want to save any more of this history, we have to, even though it's it's a grave and we've always respected that, do we have to alter course in our thought process about what to do with the future of the wreck? Right. Right. And so what's so hard what's so hard too? And like because we differ so much on you have the science aspect of it and like, you know, bring I feel like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, your feelings are more like bring everything up so we can study it, we can preserve it, we can have it. And mine is like, leave it alone. It's a grave. Like, come on. I live like, halfway in between. So it's I yeah, live halfway I mean, in between. Yeah, there's too. definitely I don't... some things I think should be brought up, but there's some things I think need to be left down there, and right. we shouldn't touch. There's well, and I I I hate thinking of living in the a world that the no lo- the Titanic literally no longer exists. You know? know, like that makes me want to cry i i hate that i hate that i don't like that so much because it's like you know and if that does happen and that's you know i was just uh talking to um simon medhurst literally mentioned him on every single podcast um because he's just just the sweetest coolest man um great great grandson of um Robert Hitchens, he will be episode five, FYI. Um, But he was saying that like the human aspect is so important because if the ship is gone, literally all we have is the stories of the people, you know, besides what is in the exhibits. And how do we tell those stories and what's the best way to honor those stories without being disrespectful, which we can also spend five minutes talking about the musical too. Cause I think that would be really fun, but yes, um, we talked a little bit about it uh, with, I had uh, James Penka on last week um, and I didn't know that he was like, so involved uh with the titanic theatrically as well um he explained that he is friends with mandy patinkin now because of his i right jaw drop i was like excuse me and he was like yeah yeah yeah." he like calls every once in a while and is like do you want to get tea and i'm like of course he does does. hey mandy what's going on yeah i was like talking to james was so much fun and then also i just was really jealous (laughs) But he was lovely and he's, he's very fun. Um, and I mean a new friend, um, but he was saying that he has worked as like a dramaturg, um, for several professional productions of Titanic, the musical. And I was like, that's a job. Like, 
what am I doing? (laughs) There was the one that was down in Georgia. I forget what it's called. Titanic. Is it that theater company? The one with the water. The the actual water that does outdoors. They made like an iron structure in the lake. They did. And Serenbe. Serenbe. That's what it is. Serenbe. And then the way that they did, I, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to text you the video. The way that they did the sink. So once each character dies, the actor actually jumps into the water and then is like swimming away. Like that's how like they actually have the actors like pew, dive right on in. And then the way that the, so the structure itself doesn't move, but they needed to figure out how to show that the Titanic was sinking. And so they have the beautiful chandelier that's supposed to represent the, the staircase, the grand right. staircase. And so at the very end, the chandelier just lowers into the water and then the lights kind of flicker underwater and then it goes out. And I was watching it and I was, I'm getting chills thinking about it. And I, I am like, like oh. so emotional right now. Crying. And I was, For like two reasons. Like that sounds beautiful. And also I miss theater so much. I know. <laughs> like that's also part of all of it is that we just I'm miss, so miss sick. our world. It's, I'm so sick of being in this pandemonium Panda Express parallelogram pandemic. I'm so sick of it. Like <laughs> you and I, yeah. It's uh, we'll have a separate conversation about all the talks that are happening about like actors' equity stuff behind the scenes. But there's some drams. Yeah. Anyways, but that's a whole separate mm-hmm. non-Titanic related. <laughs> that's an non-Titanic related. <laughs> yeah, but so I, the thing that makes me really sad is in addition to like, how do we tell the human stories is that we're kind of at the age of where there's not that many grand big shipwrecks left to be discovered because we've found from like the 1850s through world war two, we found the majority of the ones I think that we're going to be able to find all the ones down uh, in the South Pacific. A lot of those ones have been found the Bismarck Bob Ballard did his work on the Bismarck. Mm -hmm. If you've ever, there's a documentary on him finding the Bismarck and it's very similar to the behind the scenes footage that was filmed of him discovering the Titanic. But this time everyone knows who Bob Ballard is. Right. So they are actually like making a documentary of it this time. And it's just the the coolest thing to be able to watch all these scientists and archeologists and engineers figure out how to work the underwater radar and do this, you know, the side scans up and down and there's a tiniest blip. And we think that that's a piece of, you know, the ship. And when they discovered the Bismarck and it was also like perfect and deep in the ocean and like upright and the guns are coming out and it's like so cool. But all of those big ship mark, uh, shipwrecks for the ones that are going to be found have been found. And then our technology as humans got good enough to with radar and, you know, uh, beacons and things like that to where it's much easier now to find modern shipwrecks. We know where they go down. We are able to activate water, activate beacons that tell us the ship went down in this vicinity. And all of those things are great because it helps Coast Guard and various rescue teams immediately go to the rescue of anybody who was on those ships. But that means that the grand adventure of underwater ex- exploration is kind of over. Yeah, at least is- in the you know the maritime life side of it. Yeah, 
is absolutely, the, yeah. The ones that they are still discovering, which I find really fascinating, are actually the ancient shipwrecks. And that's because there's a lot more of work and research to discover that this tiny pile of coins, then that's all that's left, or uh, this pile of jars from ancient Greece are actually part of a ship in which wooden boats were all completely Dissolved. gone. Yeah, absolutely. I was, gonna say, I was like, how did they find them? They're made out of wood. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, they're finding the contents and then maybe buried four feet under the, the mud, there might be a couple wooden beams left. Maybe and that's about all they can find. Kind of trace back what it is. Exactly. And well, so those I, are the ones that are currently being discovered. But that's what makes me sad is that we had a beautiful, I think, 40 years of underwater archaeology with the big grand iron ships. And I don't think that that's going to happen no, much longer. No, no and I, I mean, oddly enough, too, I think that our, our equivalent of finding those things are going to be planes that have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be finding the planes that have landed. And I mean, uh, going anywhere into the Bermuda Triangle, I don't know how, I don't know enough about it to, to know what they would do, but there's the plethora of things that is probably in the Bermuda Triangle is probably horrifying. And that's where they would find a lot, but like, who wants to go there wi- willingly? Like, <laughs> Well, and the other issue with the Bermuda Triangle is I forget which uh, underwater um, current it is, but there's a current that goes right through the Bermuda Triangle as well, and there's a really deep trench. So a lot of the stuff that goes missing gets picked up by the current, and then it goes into the super deep trench, and you can't ever find it again. And so that's also, though, what makes it really fascinating for a Caribbean pirate shipwrecks which is another thing i could go on and on about as well because i'm also of the generation of pirates of the caribbean so that's a whole other way for me to i could digress into that one too but there were treasure hunting like legitimate treasure hunting companies who because of the nature of these privateers and pirates Mm -hmm. uh, basically set up these relationships with Spain and England, modern day governments to be like, hey, we know there's two giant privateer pirate ships that were never found. And we think it went off of the coast of St. Lucia or off the Keys or whatever. Um, If we find it, can we get 60% of the take? And Spain is like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Because the take is $400 million worth of gold coins from 1642 Spain. It's just great. Like, that stuff is really cool too, but I'm glad that, that like kind of, you know, working our way back to the Titanic, that that never was, at least to my knowledge, at least to my knowledge, that was never a thing. There was no like bounty on the ship, you know, of like get the artifacts and bring them up and they're going to be worth so much money. Like collectively. Yeah. The RMS Titanic was like, Okay, whatever we find, we're bringing it back for research, for preservation, for teaching purposes, for education. Um, like that is something that we were like, no, we're gonna respect it right away. And to my knowledge, there was never anybody who gave any pushback. Um, if anyone is listening and there is someone who has, please message me, email me, Instagram me, because I would love to kind of get that perspective too. Um, but as far as I know, everything was like, if we find it, we're, we're going to showcase it. 
And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, nobody's going to try to be like, ooh, you know, money or anything like that. Yeah. And that, I think, is because, A, it was a tragedy. B, the people who died were innocent men, women, and children. And when you compare the differences to the thoughts of who pirates and privateers were, people are like, they're dirty criminals. So they don't quite care as much. And also the bounty, a lot of it was stolen from other ships. So. You know, it's really, that's, the, I think, the difference in terms of, because all shipwrecks are graves. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are war graves, which have even more laws written into what, what you can do with said shipwreck and how much you can even physically touch the shipwreck while you're trying to identify it. Yeah. If you suspect it's a war grave. Um, and that's really the difference is they view kind of the morality of the people on the ship, you know, and I'm like, but they're all graves. They all died and they all died in a probably very horrific way. And mm-hmm. all that really is the difference between this is that somebody was likely not really given an option to join a privateering ship because it was their only way out of poverty. That's still not an option. You're still forced into that. Mm-hmm. Or you were in third class on the Titanic, or you were a 19-year-old kid um, on a U-boat off the coast of off the East Coast because the uh, there were sh- a shocking number of U-boats that got crazy close to our shores mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> from Germany. And like to me, none of that's any different. All of it should be treated the same, which is reverence and respect for the people who died, but also trying to uh, manage and merge the scientific research and archaeology and aspect of that in a respectful way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I feel like the uh, uh, Titanic museums and exhibits have done a really, really, really good job of that. I know that we've both been to the exhibit. You've only been one time, correct? I went once and it was when it returned to Minnesota and it was at the Science Museum of Minnesota and it was the expanded exhibit because it was, I think, 2011 or 2010. It was after I was in college. It was after I graduated high school and I was solidly in college. Maybe it was like 20. 2009 or something, mm-hmm. but it was the expanded exhibit because it had an additional 15 years of restoration on a lot of the artifacts that they had brought up originally from the late night or the mid nineties, the late nineties for the original exhibit that I know that you saw yes. in like 99. Not, so, yeah, it was like, it was like 90, 98, 99 that I went and saw it. And then when it came back to the science museum, I think I I was in college at that point and was like, couldn't afford to go (laughs) anyways. Like, even if I wanted to, um, I probably could have gotten like a student pass or something. But, you know, I was taking 27 credits and eating ramen noodles to get into student debt and be on Broadway. Um, (laughs) Great. Um, Living the dream. Right. I know. Right. Um, But yeah. So I I, let's talk about. the differences in exhibits. Obviously, you said 15 years worth of extra discovery. I don't remember the Titanic Museum or the Titanic exhibit that I saw, which was at the St. Paul Depot, being that big. I think to me, it felt big because I was young. But now that I'm thinking, like the things that I recall, like I talked about, like the 
the wall um, where you could see everybody's names, survivors, those who passed, etc. And you get your little card. Did they still do the little card? They still did the little card, but they also had expanded it to include actors because, you know, the Science Museum has all their actors that they hire as well. Right. And so they had actors who were also supposed to be various crew members and passengers who were living out their improv. To, see, you, this is when we should have like this been out like, of college and auditioning for this stuff. I should have quit because, school and done that. <laughs> yeah, that, that was their job as they went in and they got to essentially improv the life of being on the Titanic for their four hour shift or whatever it was. And yeah. then they had to memorize Titanic facts because if people asked them stuff. They would have to start talking to them. And so it was part of the educational piece. It's like my dream job. Like if I wanted to do that, I could move to Pigeon Forge or Branson right now and like do that for the rest of my life. But, you know, maybe I'll I'll uh, get Jim Myers, the educational director um, who will be on the podcast uh, to open an L.A. location and I will run that ship. Yes. <laughs> run it. Like That'll be my job. Yes. And Absolutely, I, and I will love it. I love every moment of it. Okay, so they so they still had the cards. Just so all the cards. It sounds more like the exhibit that you saw is is like the Branson and the Pigeon Forge museums that exist now. Yes, and so it I was think very like the current exhibit is in Vegas right now. Like, cause it's a touring, it's a traveling exhibit. And so as it goes and sits at this museum for nine months or this museum for six, it's been in Vegas. And I don't know if Vegas is its final permanent home or if it's just kind of stuck there because of COVID that I'm not sure about, mm -hmm. but I believe it's in Vegas right now. And as they've gone on in years, they've been able to add more things. They also, I think, depending on the size of the location of their next stop are able to take things away and they're kind of able to like, how much space do you have for this exhibit? These are the, the core things that are required of the exhibit. But then if you have an extra side room, we can do X, Y, Z here, you know, like there's right, depending right. on how much space you have, I think they're able to cater it a little bit to yeah. whatever the location is that they're going to. Right. The things right. that really stood out to me when I went to the science museum were of course the actors. Cause I was like, this is my dream job. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also had recreated staterooms, which I thought was so cool. Oh, they, I do not believe that they had that when I went, I, I saw they had recreated uh, uh, a couple staterooms. And then they also had recreated a third class passenger cabin as well. They definitely had, rocking chairs that were in all of the rooms like chairs that were in the rooms and then they sold the re the replicas in the gift shop which is like so weird like did you like that I chair you could so buy much. it here i know i spent so much time in that gift shop and, and money but yeah. I, it was you couldn't actually like you could go in but everything was blocked off so like you couldn't go sit down on like the replica chairs or anything mm -hmm. like that it was very much like a we can walk through and we're going to walk through the middle of what this replica stateroom is, or we're going to walk past. And on each side is going to be a cabin, a third class cabin. And then what the third class bathrooms look like. And then as you're going through this area, then the actual 
artifacts that were brought up from the Titanic floor are on pedestals and on the walls and things kind of first we'll go through the replica and then let's go into the room that has all of the actual artifacts so we can learn more about the things that were found in the rooms that you just saw. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, they definitely didn't have that. I know that they had a lot of just like uh, the cases and podiums and the clothing, the teacup, which stood out to me the most, yep. which is, you know, kind of why this podcast is called that. Um, the uh, They had a model built of what it looks like now. In the bottom uh, of the Atlantic, they had a, a model built of what it looks like. And it I remember it being um, kind of in this, like, back, like, cornery part of it. And it had, like, this, like, all of the blue wall around it and, like, like lit from the bottom. So it looks like as if you're in the bottom of the ocean and you walked in. And there was something super eerie about it. Like, when I walked into it and then beyond it was the iceberg and you could put your hand on the ice and feel like how cold it was and what that felt like. Do they still have those? Did they? Still yeah, they did. Hands? They had oh, that. They and then they also had the piece of the hall, which was the largest piece. It was like the show stopper yep. piece in the exhibit. The big piece. And, hmm? The big piece. The big piece. Yeah. And then the there's, there's videos of it like going in and being installed. I actually went and I looked them up. I was like, since this was a good 10 plus years ago that I saw this exhibit, I wanted to remind myself of what they had there. And, it, you know, the clothing, the shoes, you know, which always yeah. breaks your heart. Because yeah. you know that if a shoe was found on the bottom of the ocean. Someone was wearing it. Someone was wearing it. Yeah, I and, know. That guts me every time. Yeah, that's the part that really makes you just have to pause and think and mm -hmm. the the bell did they i think they had the bell they did they had the bell bell they had a smokestack i believe it was a, a replica of it but part of me feels like god part of me feels like they really they had another big piece of it it wasn't the hall like the big piece but it was like like a boiler or like something. I just remember looking at it and it was very rusted and it was in a glass case with the water in it to preserve it because it had, you know, this was early, uh, you know, 98, 99 and was, I believe it was only brought up in 94. So a lot of it still had to have like the long-term preservation um, along with the big piece. So this is what drove me crazy for so long. And I, it literally, it took me two hours yesterday trying to find this and track it down because anytime you look up the big piece right now in the exhibit, if you type in Titanic exhibit, big piece, it shows you how it's displayed now, you know, it's upright. It's lit from the bottom. It has a little plaque. You walk up to it. You're like, cool, there it is. And I, could not find a picture of what it looked like when I saw it, which was floating in a pool. I only ever saw it upright. See, and I, my memory is watching it, is seeing it floating in a pool that was under lit from the bottom. And it was like this weird, like green color, like a, not a normal, like chlorine pool color because it, it they're trying to the preservation process of it. 
And I was like, I, I know this because one of the things that just stuck me so hard as a kid and made me almost pass out um, and just start like crying and really, you know, I'm an empath and I am very spiritual and those things like connect with me anyway. So I think that had a lot to do with it as a kid too, but was the windows. They were not, they were not empty. Like they were not broken out or anything. And you could like just see like these rust marks that looked like they would be fingers and yeah. like hands. Like that's all I could think of as a kid. And it, it freaked me out. It got me really emotional. And my mom like ended up taking me out of that room. But I remember it was a separate area and it was like a collapsible pool and it was suspended in the pool so that it could constantly be in water to work on the preservation process. So yesterday I like tore through the internet and I found um, an 11 page document on the conservation of the RMS Titanic big piece, a case study and critical evaluation. Cool. I found it and I am not crazy. (laughs) And that that is exactly how I saw it. Cause I was like, am I nuts? Like, did I, you know, I was a kid, you know, what if I, I had seen it the way that the big piece is now displayed. And in my brain, I was like, Ooh, you know, I'm, kid memories kind of change, you know, your memories are a little different, but that was like locked and loaded in my head. And I was so glad to find out that that was not, I was not crazy. Cause it says here, um, post-recovery treatment methodology and logistics. Once successfully recovered and situated in a suitable environment, the overall treatment of such a large artifact can be very complex. Manipulation of and access to the artifact will likely involve aerial um, man lifts, scaffolding, forklifts, cranes, or even specialty engineering tanks. Um, treatment to stabilize metal artifacts. And it goes it like goes through like exactly what they're going to use. So removing uh, concretions, removing chlorides, all of these things. Like you would love this. I'm going to send it to you because send it is it is very it is very sciency. It talks about exactly what they used to preserve the metal, um, to clean it, to showcase it best it can. And their original plan was to have it mounted the way it currently is mounted. And have people constantly spraying it down. And they were like, right. But they were like, well, where's that water going to go? Like, what are we going to do with it? And this document like breaks it down. And ultimately they decided for the first, um, I got to see for the first year, for the initial treatment period. Right. Okay. So the initial treatment period was from 1998 for the first exhibit in St. Paul to 2000. So that whole time, anytime it was on display, it was in the pool. Interesting. Um, Because the big piece was so difficult to handle and maneuver, it was decided to separate the artifact into two pieces. So it was even bigger than it normally was and had been split between uh, C-79 and C-81, like right down the middle, because those were the cabin rooms that were right there. Um, in first class. Anyways, anyways, uh, I could go on forever, but I'm going to email this to you so you can read it. Cause it was like fascinating read. I'm so glad that I thought I was nuts so that I could find it. 
because <laughs> I was like, wait, this is really cool. Because I don't, I mean, I've definitely thought, you've probably thought of this more with the exhibits of like, how did they preserve these things without destroying yeah. them? That's that's the type of information I like to learn when I go to these type of any type of exhibit. But it's like, you know, the year and who donated this to the collection, blah, 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 like all of that, like, that's fine. I want to talk to the scientists and be like, which nerdy scientist sat in the back for three years and painstakingly scraped the mud off of whatever artifact this is to be able to pres- like, that's the information that I want to know. Like yeah. that is what I find really fascinating. Who, I don't who, care that fancy rich old lady donated it from her dead husband's collection. That does not, it doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. Which is also funny that you say that with like the rich people of it. Like we thank them for being able to contribute. But did you know that when, the Titanic exhibit first came to the St. Paul Depot, there was like a scandal. No. There was like Tell a me. scandal. Tell me the scandal. So in the Pioneer Press and the Star Tribune, our Minnesota local papers, there was a big scandal because there was normally another gala that happened um, that the Titanic was taking over. And they were hosting a gala to be able to have the exhibit in St. Paul and they were asking for donations and people like flipped out and was like, how can you call yourself a historical society and a non-for-profit for these different things? If you're asking for donations and they were like, because there's a lot of stuff that we need to take care of and we just don't have the funding for it. So if you want these to see these things this close to this movie exploding so you can experience it, then you're going to give us some money. Yeah. And like, there was a whole like side of the Minneapolis St. Paul communities, like the ritzy, you know, nose in the air type that were like, mm, no, the Linden is- Hills folks. Right. Like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. The Summit Avenue people. Yes. You all know who you, you are. You know who you are. Summit Avenue. Summit Avenue is so beautiful though, but. It is beautiful, but you know who you are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But there was like a big scandal of like, "Mm, no, we're not going to donate to that. Well, everybody ended up donating to it anyways, because you're dumb if you didn't like to be a part of it, get your name on that thing. Like if you can, but um, yeah, it was like a big thing. I came across that while I was tr- trying to find out if I saw the big piece in water or not. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what are these news articles? And it was like Titanic exhibit causes uproar in arts community and blah, 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 all these different things. And I was like, that's, that's nuts. Crazy. Right. Yeah. I was, I was just Googling what like kind of is the state of the current exhibit. And it's at the Luxor in Las Vegas. Which I was going to for my 30th birthday. Ooh, so okay. So guess does that mean that I'm flying to Vegas for my for your 30th birthday? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, it is a 25,000 square foot exhibit featuring numerous items from the Titanic, including luggage, the ship's whistles, floor tiles from the first class smoking room. That I think is super cool. The whistles a were window- the whistles were at the St. Paul one because they would have them go off every hour outside. 
the, so I, if, I think probably the smallest items were in the original. And then as they were able to restore larger and larger pieces, that's what's been added to this exhibit. Um, as it talks about uh, a whole window frame from the Veranda Cafe and an unopened bottle champagne with the 1900 vintage. So it is now a 120-year-old bottle that was recaptured from the floor of the North Atlantic. Okay, how did that not explode with the pressure? No, I mean, it's it's not just there. There's been other vintage wines and champagnes that have been found in super deep waters around the world. It, and I think it mostly has to do with how they bottled them back in the day. Yeah. And I, I don't, don't know, know if modern day that. champagnes would do that. I, I just don't know. And no. I think the glass is different. It was like leaded, thick leaded glass, you know, like not the crappy little glass we got going on God, i um, have like a prosecco bottle for you know bartending at jagged little pill i drop it on the ground and it would explode in the beginning of act two or something and like because they're steepy yeah hot you know off the presses you know because they know that it's just <laughs> women in their 30s going we need a prosecco like I we don't care uh, but they also have a full-scale recreation of the Grand Staircase, <laughs> as well as a newly expanded outer promenade deck, complete with the frigid temperatures felt on that fateful April night. Wait, wait. Oh, so that's the room. That's the room that has... But now they've expanded it to be like a recreation of the promenade deck. I'm going to... There's silence. Like, <laughs> <laughs> She's speechless. But yeah, it's uh, I'm so excited. So Vegas is only like four hours away from us by yeah. car, so we can just like drive over there, and that is all I want to do for my thirtieth because I don't know if it when will be safe enough. June fourteenth, this year of this year. Okay, so that's why I don't know if it's safe enough for people to like fly out. But like, you're vaccinated. I am fully vaccinated. <laughs> yes. So since you're fully vaccinated, you could definitely come out. I mean, I don't, I, I, I have told Sean that I would like friends to join me. For people at home, I'm partially taking off my shirt. I, I don't was know like, if you Dara, why are you stripping right now? <laughs> I, I, you know what? It's really hard to see. Do you see how it's a little bit red right here on my yeah. arm? It's, it's bad. Cold. It's, it was, it was like a red spot. It's still like when you like, it's really warm here compared to, this is the final side it effect, like but sunburn. The, the, the part that really sucks is that it's itchy. It's called Moderna arm is what it's called. Oh, you got the it's, Moderna yeah. vaccine. Yeah, I got Moderna. It's a known side effect of uh, the vaccine. It can pop up anywhere between two and like 12 days after your vaccine. It's just like red, itchy, hot site but the crazy part is right here is not where i got injected i got injected like three inches higher so i think all of the vaccine like pooled and settled right down here and that's where i'm having the re delayed reaction but i digress well, i'm fully vaccinated so i can come and totally party in vegas with you if you want to yeah well i'm gonna see we is that I do, if that doesn't happen, then at some point this fall, I think we need to plan a trip to Branson, Missouri and yeah. meet midway country and yeah. go to that museum, especially because you're going to have that connection with their educational director. Which I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, Jim Myers, he's so, so sweet um, and is like so excited. They themselves have a podcast series. Um, one of their crew member, Emily, 
um, has a podcast series where it's like, it's really short, like 15 minute, like fact lessons. Um, so it's going to be her and Jim are going to be on and we're going to kind of do like a crossover podcast episode so they can put it on their website. Yeah, I think like, no. regardless of what you and I, whether it's in June or whether it's in, because the really amazing part about the Branson, Missouri exhibit is that it's like the whole museum is the front half of the ship. Right, right. <laughs> like walking up to a replica of the actual Titanic. Well, is, and yeah, is that the Missouri one or is that the Pigeon Forge one? I thought that one was the Missouri one. I, I don't, it might be both. It might be both because oh. I originally emailed Pigeon Forge because they have the ship and they have the water coming down the stairs and the third class um, barricades and gates, which is like, it's like really fucked up, but like <laughs> Wikipedia, is it? That's what the, that's what the, the one Brand- in Branson looks like. Okay. In Wikipedia. So the Pigeon Forge one is the second location of that then that makes yeah and the one that's really fun also fun because this is another thing that you'll appreciate is my love for the tv show ghost adventures yeah and the they're just they're they're the world's i don't know what language is allowed on here but they're just it's a group of douchebags going around like hey i just just said fuck like 30 seconds ago so we'll just put i'll click that uh walk through these haunted locations and they like they essentially they provoke and they, they get some really interesting footage because of it, but they provoke. And one of the things that they investigated was the Branson, Missouri location, because a lot of the crew members there have experienced some haunted things happening because of the personal artifacts that are housed in the Branson, Missouri museum. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. If I went down with the Titanic and somebody had my dress there, I'd be like, bitch, give me my dress. Like, <laughs> I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. <laughs> like, exactly. Absolutely. And so, Yeah, so I think that one's really fun, too. But I think regardless of whether it's in Vegas in June or Branson at some point later this year, we need to, like, have our, like, to-go microphones so we can, like, some, like, podcasts. Like, we're doing a a return, Adara and Loretta. I don't think that will be a good episode because it's just going to be me going, (laughs) ah, it's so beautiful. Um, It's going to be me going, how did you? this item so cool and, and so it's gonna just be like falling your eyes out and me like a big like honking i'll push my glasses up my nose nerd and they're gonna be like who are these people <laughs> can you believe we're sober right now <laughs> oh stone cold sober i absolutely uh, am like we're activists that's what you know I'm we don't gonna, need we don't need alcohol i'm to, just gonna click the uh explicit button as i'm rendering this on my podcast platform and be like Whoops. <laughs> we had a little too fun. <laughs> too much fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I think that that's what I would really love for to be able to have you do on the podcast. And I was trying to help you figure out how we could like find somebody who's actually like done a submersible down there Yeah, is yeah. talk to somebody about the future of the wreck, like from a scientific point of view. Right. Like, I, I would just, you I'll be here on the, on, the, on the squad cast and I'll just, I reached out because the, the, the woman that I was thinking of, she, 
so I'm a, I'm a recruiter by day. And so I have all these tips and tricks of trying to like find people's email addresses that are not normally listed online. And I won't go into my tips and tricks because they're secrets of the trade, but I was trying to use these secrets of the trade and it wasn't working because scientists, it's a whole different ball game versus trying to find somebody whose email who works at Facebook. Right. I can right. guess your email at Facebook most likely, right. but if you have worked for multiple academic institutions, uh, are which emails are currently valid, which ones are not? Uh, science, the world of science is very different when it comes to putting their contact information out there. And I just have not been able to. Well, convert, uh, contact definer. information and information in general. I mean, there's probably, even if we do get a hold of her. Maybe there's things that she can't tell us right now, too. Like, I feel like that there is a lot of information that they can't really put out there. Um, And that's actually something that just came up uh, the other day, too. I was talking to somebody, I don't remember, um, about perhaps the... Oh, I was talking to the girl who sold me my iPhone for my upgrade. (laughs) Um, Because she was like, you have a Titanic tattooed. That's weird and i was like yeah uh so i like the titanic i have a podcast yeah. called titanic you should listen to it and she was like oh yeah i love the movie and i was like i hate the movie i think it's garbage and she's like what why and i kind of explained like my reasoning and she said she goes did you ever think about the legality of things though like maybe there's things that james cameron had to make up storylines because at that time since it was still pretty new from the discovery there's things that they couldn't put out there you know, they're very legit. And I was like, Whoa, like, how did I not think that's totally, that's probably why for a lot of the reasons, but then there's like other reasons where they like still some garbage writing in that regardless. But right. Uh, I mean, I will, if I see Titanic on like TNT, I'm like, well, there goes my afternoon. I'm oh, yeah. not moving oh, yeah. from the couch because I have my oh, yeah. favorite moments that I now act like the hand in the car window. It's like one of my most favorite. <laughs> of course, as a kid, anytime you, in Minnesota, it gets steamy on the inside of your cars during winter. I swear the amount of handprints on the inside of my parents' cars as a kid, they were like, can you please stop? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, but I'm being Rose. And being rose. And then, of course, you know, I also didn't quite get that I was being rose after post-coitus. So yeah. they were like, we just stop this in our car. Like, this is a little ridiculous. That's like one of the parts of the movie that makes me gag the most. Because I'm like, was it really necessary? Like, no. really? Like, I'm not, like, approved by any sense of the word. But, like, it was very much like, what the hell does that have to do with this? Like, are we just trying to show that there was cars? Like, good for them. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I asked my dad if he ever watched it. He was like, why would I? I know how it ends. (laughs) That seems like the perfect dad response. (laughs) And he was like, it stinks, doesn't it? And I was like, yeah, but the love story. He was like, so there's a dumb love story with two young white kids. And the Okay, sure. Why would I watch this? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, so it was just kind of, you know, of course. But you know, I was I was a Leo fan through and through oh, throughout absolutely. the night. Absolutely, I'm not a not a Leo fan now. But you know, it's he gets older and his girlfriends stay the same age. Fourteen, you mean? Yeah, he <laughs> goal. Third, nineteen and a half. I know, but I'm like, bud, like. 
I respect the hell out of him as an actor, though. That dude is incredible. And I heard that he's lovely. I have heard that he is a lovely person. Um, so, and same with Kate Winslet. So everybody involved, I mean, big fans. I just, you know, Jeez. I'm a, a historically <laughs> accurate person. Did you know that there was a a Titanic miniseries with Catherine Zeta-Jones? I feel like I did know this information. I, I, I like knew it and then pushed it to the back of my head and then recently was like, oh yeah, that's right. And it was like also not very good. They just like <laughs> can't get it right. Except a night. No. To, I've heard a night to remember is the best one. I have not watched that one. I've, I mean, I've watched all the the document. Like that's, I go for the documentaries because on. So for those of you who are interested in watching more about art, like marine archaeology, Disney Plus has Nat Geo Wild as part of their you know, plethora of, you know, channels that they have to access. And of course, as I go to pull it up, it says you need to update your Disney plus. So let me update this. But there is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, which is drain the oceans. And that's where I really know I've seen every episode at least three times, but that's where I really nerd out about Marine and underwater archeology. span They have like two or three episodes specifically about the Titanic. Um, they also have several specials just about the titanic on nat geo as well they also like, on that titanic. show have a ton of inaccurate information on the titanic and it, made me, <laughs> it made me literally throw my phone at the television because i was like no wrong speculation like and they were like yeah this is what happened it's like you literally have not proved your theory so no by science standpoint that is not what happened i'm doing is it the spinning theory is it that one the yes. spinning yeah well, yeah, it was a spinning like theory. I was watching that, and I was texting you while I was watching it. And yeah. I was like, you need to... There's this weird theory. The spinning theory and the... <sighs> getting into trying to be like, well, it wasn't just because of the gash in the side of it. Like, that's not why. It's actually because of the bolts, and it's actually because of the boiler room, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm and like, no, it's not. The fire. <laughs> there's there's the, the boiler room fire theory, too. Yeah, the conspiracy theory, which is trash garbage, which James and I put to bed last week. Which is, it was literally on, it's on the other side of the ship. Like... <laughs> Where the fire happened was not there. I'm getting heated, girl. I'm gonna knock stuff over in my. I know you. I, I can tell. Knocking but things over in my closet. Three... Drop the blouse. Oh, oh goodness! There are three <laughs> documentaries on Disney Plus under the Nat Geo. Drain the Titanic. Back to the Titanic. Titanic twenty years later, which is the James Cameron documentary where he went back and actually talked to family members of, like the descendants. descendants oh, I did of- watch that one. That one was really cool because they were able to kind of highlight the stories more and because he wanted to approach it from a storytelling perspective. Like if I could go back and rewrite the movie with what I know now about just the wreck, the people and the descendants in general, where there'd be different things that I would, I would do. And like one of the things that he really wanted to wish that he could go back and adjust is how he portrayed Lightoller. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the one thing that he's like, that's one of the biggest regrets that I have in terms like we had to make somebody the bad guy in the movie. And 
mean, it was obviously Billy Zane and Cal, you know, in terms of like the made up story, but in terms of like the actual ship part of it, they needed a bad guy. And it was a combination of how they portrayed Captain Smith and Lytoller that they put all of the bad on them. And Robert Gibbons. Yeah. And and, and in Lifeboat 6, they made him... They put him and, and Molly Brown in the same lifeboat, which they never actually were in the same lifeboat. Shut your face. Is yep. that what he tells her? To yep. shut her face? Yeah. Shut your face. Put that, that hole on your face. That That's never, it. never happened. Never yeah. happened. I believe and, Molly Brown, what Margaret Brown was in lifeboat eight. And, and Hitchens so, was in lifeboat six. Mm-hmm. So like completely made up. And then, but that's what he talks about in that documentary is kind of the storytelling redos that he would do. And I was like, that's a really interesting perspective. And every April, as we're gearing up now, we're coming up on almost exactly one month left. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. April, Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, all History Channel, they all air all of their Titanic specials for like the whole weekend of t- the Titanic anniversary. And so that's one of my, everyone likes Shark Week during the summer. I like Titanic Week like during Titanic. April. <laughs> and so and it's not even an official titanic week it's just that's when they put you know re-air them all back on tv and so those are and then they also tend to air more of their uh, marine archaeology stuff in general anyways which i think is really fun right around that time because that's that of course cool. when everybody gets really nerdy about all that stuff so <laughs> they're kind of like the titanic's not by itself guys it's okay yeah. it has friends here's about and then that. And then the Smithsonian has a TV channel as well that has documentaries about like uh, the Lusitania and some other. I I, I know I've watched. Them you don't all. get out much, no. do you? <laughs> no, it's COVID. What are we doing? We're in a Panda Express. It's fine. We're in a Panda Express. Um, uh, there's I would Nat Geo Wild and Nat Geo in general and the Smithsonian Channel for people who want to watch. Those are going to be your resources. I'm dying right now. <laughs> just, I mean, I feel like hey, I. Here, I'm coming over. Not. Let's see what's on TV. Well, we have the Smithsonian Channel. <laughs> and I'd be like, yay. <laughs> that TV right there behind me, nonstop about two weekends ago, went through every episode of Drain the Oceans again, plus all of the undersea exploration shows on the Smithsonian Channel. <laughs> Because I had nothing else to do. That TV right there, better known as Education Station. <laughs> Education Station. I literally sit there on my bed. I cross-stitch because yeah. I, I, I do granny crafts. And yes. I sit there and I just I cross-stitch like this, you know, with my little needle. And then I watch my sh- stories about the Titanic. That's my life. I will be joining you in the cross-stitch world to do that Titanic pattern. I just have to, you know, get the materials. Take your time. Whenever you have time, it's one of those things where we'll be able to sit down and I'll introduce you to the world of cross stitch and needlework. And we'll do stitch. It's a really great starter. Yeah, stitch and bitch. It's a really great starter pattern because it's like a five by seven, and you'll be able to feel really accomplished once it's done. And then if you hate it, you hate it. And uh, at the end of it, at least you have the piece of Titanic artwork. And if you love it, then there's plenty more to do. But before we go, I want to make sure that the world knows yeah. the gift that I sent you last year. Yeah, it's the piece of coal from the 1994 recovery mission. Um, mm-hmm. And I have it right next to my bed. I love it. Yeah, that I got from the Science Museum gift shop. There were 
two things that I spent money on, but a replica of the heart of the ocean was right up there <laughs> in terms of wanting to be able to, you know, what do I spend my money on? Yeah. And yeah. one, I was like, you know what? I cannot walk away from here without like the one artifact that they are allowed to sell, which is coal from, yep. from the bottom yep. of the ocean. And mm-hmm. then I, a keychain, which has been on my keys still now it's moved across country with me and it has come over with me. I still have it. And it's a white star line keychain, which I love. And mm-hmm. those are the two things that I walked away from. And after the coal sitting in storage in my parents' house for the last three and a half years, I was like, you know, I think this needs to be passed on to someone who will appreciate it more than I do. And so I sent it to Loretta and I, I was- cried like a baby. <laughs> It belongs to you now. Anytime someone gives me or sends me anything Titanic, I just start sobbing. (laughs) But I'm always like, I like Titanic things. And they're like, yeah, but you just cry when you get them. Right? (laughs) like, oh, there's what's wrong with the crying. There is one time that I was able, and I got to see if I can find a photo of it, able to put a heart of the ocean replica around my neck. Um, and that's when I was playing an escape room and here in New York and it was, uh, it was a clue chases first uh, location. And the whole point was you were like breaking into a vault and trying to steal a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Mm -hmm. you had to steal was the heart of the ocean. And I was like, I'm going to focus on the heart of the ocean. You guys, you guys can do the rest of the room. I will find the puzzle and the answer for the heart of the ocean. And you better believe as soon as I was, (laughs) I put that thing around my neck and I wore it for the rest of the room. This is mine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, this is mine now. Um, now that I've rescued this, we're definitely just going to keep it here. And we're just going to wear it for the rest of the escape room because costumes, that's what you should do in yeah. escape rooms in my opinion. Well, I probably, I treasure, I treasure the, the piece of coal, which is about the size of my fingernail. Uh, very, very much. I look at, I literally look at it every day. I mean, I keep it in the box, but I look at its box every single day. So I'm like, mm. If something were to happen to it, I would jump off a bridge. I wouldn't. That's dramatic. It's a really cool piece of history. And I'm just glad that you're able to appreciate it more than I was able to. Thanks. Thanks, Adira. And thank you for coming on here. And and sorry to to bounce, but um, I'm glad that we could talk about, we talked about so many things. We we really did. Our only plan was to talk about the exhibit. And we really, like, we went for it. I'm proud of us. Yep. We nailed it. I'm so proud of us. We nailed it. <laughs> we nailed Hashtag it. Nailed it at the Panda Express. Nailed it in the nailed Panda Express. In the Panda Express Pandemonium Parallelogram Paradigm. Pandemic. On St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's and Day. And I greatly look forward to your Titanic facts this year, which is coming up in now less than, it's like 27 days or something like that. There is. And there is. I think we should just also make a date to figure out which Titanic documentary we're going to watch together and then have a, a, a date where we walk, hit play at the same time. Done. <laughs> Done. Boom, boom. Cross country documentary date. Nerds. <laughs> Thanks, Adara. Thanks, Loretta.
Thanks for listening to Titanic. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave me a review. New episodes of Titanic are released every Sunday night at 11.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8.40 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, wherever you get your podcasts.